Well, good morning. My name is Randy Friesen. I serve here as one of the elders and also serve with a team of great people who uh, are facilitating mission training programs and long-term service around the world through MB Mission and another ministry called C2C. And uh, those two ministries have come together recently to form a, a new global agency that's doing work locally, nationally, and globally all over the world with a new name called Multiply. And uh, so this is a story that's been going on for quite a while. But seeing those pictures, those young people in Montreal, and what God did in their hearts just uh, reminded me that it was 30 years ago this summer that the first youth mission training program happened, and close to 20,000 young people have been trained over the last 30 years through these training programs. And uh, it's a ministry to assist the church to equip people to live on mission wherever they are. And I am so incredibly grateful for all the ways in which God is calling the church and mobilizing the church in new ways to be effective in his mission. A year ago, um, I started kind of pondering a story that I'd heard a few months before, and it's been alive within me and guiding me in many ways in some of the changes that we've been participating in as a mission. It's a story that comes from the climbing world, and uh, it's from California. There was a uh, young man a year and a half ago who did something that no one else has ever done, took one of the most climb, uh, challenging climbing routes on Yosemite's El Capitan, a 3,000-foot face, and he took a route that the best climbing teams in the world had been doing in four days, give or take, and uh, speed climbing, shaving 15, 20 minutes off each other's climb time, and he took that route and he reduced it from four days to four hours. Four hours. No ropes, no pack, just straight up in time for breakfast. Doesn't have a death wish, really believes this is something that, you know, he was called to do with his life. He loves free climbing. When I first heard that story, I thought, wow, uh, wow. And God began speaking to me about the challenges that I'm facing and we're facing in mission, reaching our culture, our nation with the gospel, and least reach places around the world. And I felt the Lord saying, think differently. Think differently. I want to give you different approaches to reduce problems from four days to four hours. Are you with me on this? Okay, now this is, this is an invitation to think differently. We began a series two weeks ago called A Better Way. It's a series focused on the Sermon on the Mount. The Constitution, Tim said, of the Kingdom of God. And if I was to ask you, what would be one really radical, think differently component of the Sermon on the Mount, just one, what would that be? Shout it out. Someone give, give me what's one significantly, like think differently moment in that Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor. Are the poor. Wow. Okay, another one. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. More specifically, Right. That would be another level, right? 
love your neighbor, and then take it to a whole nother level, love your enemy. You heard it said, love your neighbor. You heard it said, I'm telling you, you know, go deeper. I'm telling you to actually love those who want to take you out. Can you imagine if the church globally was living this? Can you imagine if our collective witness, not just our personal witness, our collective witness is we are a people who when someone tries to take us out, we love them in return. Wouldn't that be a dramatically different story all over planet Earth? So there's lots of other great stuff in this Constitution we're going to unpack uh, over the course of the next few weeks, but this is, um, this is a call to think differently. So I'm going to focus on that response to our neighbor and our enemy here this morning by taking us back to a, a text from Isaiah chapter 2. It's a vision of the kingdom of God, which I believe Jesus fulfilled and is fulfilling through the church today. Isaiah chapter 2, 1 to 5. So this is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord, from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, O house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Four images I want to just lift out of this text for us to think about as it relates to thinking differently. Maybe more specifically, living differently. First one is the temple, the mountain of the Lord's temple. What is this? What is this? Jesus said, you can destroy this temple, or I will destroy this temple, or this temple will be destroyed in three days, I'll raise it up again, right? What was he talking about when he said that? He was talking about his own body, right? His own body, which is the church, which is the church. 1 Corinthians 3.16, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? The foundation of this temple, we know in 1 Corinthians 3.11, is Jesus. No one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Ephesians 3 says, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Jesus said, I will build my church. I will build my ecclesia and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. This temple is the body of Christ. Not many bodies, one body. One body. Not many climbers, Roped together, trying to shave 15 minutes, one body. One body. Many parts, one body, the body of Christ. 
If we were to function this way, as the temple, as the body, not criticizing, judging, critiquing, competing, but one body, can you imagine our collective witness all over this world? We've been working at that within our small part of the kingdom, within the MB tribe. I just, Rod and I just came back from our denomination's national convention last night in Saskatoon. And I've been, to, I've been to my share of conventions, I have to say. I, w- I, I would uh, submit this was the best convention I've been to in 30 years. The best convention. You say, why? Why? Because the Holy Spirit was clearly at work. There was reconciliation happening. There were so many ways in which we were hearing God speak. The word of the Lord was clearly evident. And leaders were humbling themselves and responding to the word of the Lord. But reconciliation was one of the clear expressions of what we were, what we were doing in response to what God was saying. Reconciliation. Sometimes we think peace is some, you know, and we, it is. It's, it's, a, it's a way in which we live with our enemies far away. But how about with our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ? Like, can we start here with this call to live this mandate of peace? Not just within our denominations and tribes, but think of those other parts of the body of Christ that we often, um, you know, are not in relationship with and uh, have so much to learn from and so much to give to. Our story as Multiply is of bringing different expressions of mission together to collectively witness to the power of the gospel that Jesus transforms. That mission, as you heard on the video, isn't just a location somewhere far away, but it's a way of life. As Seb said, that we live right here, wherever we are, every day. Coming together under Christ's leadership as one body is what this temple is called to be. And it's called to be lifted up in such a way that the nations can see it and are drawn to this temple. Many peoples are going to come and say, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. Second big image here is the nations. The nations. They've always been on the heart of God. He made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He made a covenant with Israel. But it wasn't for them exclusively. It was that they would be a representation of what it means to live under his covenant and with his covenant ways so that the nations would be drawn into a relationship with himself. God's heart is always that the nations would be reconciled to himself. And he uses his covenant people to communicate that message. But when the nations showed up in in the temple, what did they see? This was an anaconic temple. There was no images. It was uh, a, a big room. There's a couple of symbols. A, you know, if, you, if you were given entrance to it, you knew there was, there was candles in there or a, a candelabra, a menorah. Um, there was uh, you know, bread, table, but there's no images. There is a curtain and there is the presence of a spiritual being. It's the presence of God. 
in the temple that is our most powerful witness. And when we gather together, the nations should see a demonstration of God's presence in our midst. They should see the manifest presence of God. When they spend time with us as individual expressions of this temple, they should sense the presence of God. It's, it's, it's meant to be an attraction and some, something that actually pulls people into a, a, a curiosity. What is it that I, I see within your life? This temple was also a place where people learned ethics. And there was laws, over 600 of them. There was a way of living. There was prescribed ways that were meant to be lived out, not just individually, but collectively. So as, as we collectively live the ways of God, the nations should see that as a better way to live and choose to, to also go up the mountain of the Lord and say, yeah, we want to be also in covenant with him. So as we conform to the ways of this world, we lose that, that impact collectively as the temple of the Lord. So God's calling us to live his distinctive ways, which, you know, as we think about what it means to make disciples of all nations, Christ's call to us in Matthew 28, what kind of disciples are we talking about? Sometimes we use that text almost like it's disconnected from the rest of the book of Matthew. The kind of disciples we're called to make are Matthew 5, 6, and 7 disciples, right? Those are the kind of disciples we're called to make of all nations. And so this is our, our mandate. Ephesians 2.14 says that Christ himself is our peace. He has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. One body. No ropes, no packs, one body. There is a better way, and Jesus made it possible by reconciling us to himself, but also to each other. Jesus is God's peace plan. Jesus is God's peace plan. And the church, this temple, is God's peace vehicle. It's the vehicle through which People are to see God's reconciling gospel and also see what it means to live reconciled with one another. And uh, so this is our challenge. This is our call. Our pastor, Tim, is now in the Middle East for the next few weeks, and he's on a program called Building Leaders for Peace that we've been sponsoring. So we're going to have, uh, there are right now about 160 Syrians and Iraqis and uh, Yazidis and people from all over the Middle East in peace camps right now. There's about 90 people from North America that are collectively living out the gospel in those peace camps. And who is our peace? Jesus. Now you've got people that are just desperate for peace in that war-torn region of the world. And you can come to them with a gospel tract and you can say, hey, just, uh, you know, Follow these four propositional truths and your life will be changed. And they might drop it on the ground. But if you live, if you live 
this reality of a community filled with the presence of God in reconciliation with each other and with God, if you demonstrate the gospel, if you express the gospel, it is so powerful, it is so attractive, people want it today. War-torn, divided cultures and communities, Yazidis who've been ripped apart by ISIS, and uh, Sunnis and Shiites who are killing each other, there's all kinds of conflict within the region. They want to see a demonstration of a different kind of community. Now the irony is, at the very time when Christians could be the greatest witness, and people are the most open in that war-torn region, least-reached peoples, a lot of Christians are, are closing their, you know, their doors and just kind of going the other way. So this is a great opportunity for us to live the gospel. Live the gospel. So I, we need to pray for Tim. Uh, he's, he's out there with April, and we just need to be praying that God fills them with his love and gives them opportunities every day to be a witness because they're going to be doing all kinds of, um, you know, in all kinds of conversations and room assignments. Tim's going to be in a room with guys from other cultures, okay? That's happening. So let's be praying for our pastor and that God would um, use him and also just work in him and through him in ways that are transformational. We've got programs in different places. One of our guys in Mauritania, a country that practices Sharia, Islamic code law, couldn't come to one of our events in North Africa that we had scheduled, and so he couldn't get the visa in time, and he actually couldn't get the visa at all. And so he's, you know, Mauritania is a country of about three million people. It's got the highest percentage of slavery in the world. So about 4% of Mauritanians are slaves today. And it's Arabs enslaving darker peoples, Africans. And so he couldn't go to the, the equipping event, which meant he was very disappointed. And him and his partner, uh, they just said, what, what do you want for us, Lord? And they felt they were supposed to go to a slave rally. And so there was a darker skinned Mauritanian who was advocating for freedom for his people. He was the son of a slave. His mother's been enslaved her whole life. He doesn't know who his father is. So he's got a rally of a couple hundred Mauritanians and he's stirring them all up with this cry for human rights. And our two brothers go into that event. They listen. When there's an opportunity, they spend some time with him. And they say, we know how you can be free. We know a way all slaves can be free. And he says, well, what's that? And they share the gospel with him. Jesus sets people free. And the guy's like, oh, you're Christians. We're all Muslims. He's kind of dismissive. They give him some scriptures. That night, he had a dream. And Jesus appeared to this guy and said, the UN won't help you. No NGOs are going to help you. I'm the only one who can set slaves free. Wow. He called them up the next day. He said, I got to talk to you. I got to talk to you right now. I had a dream last night. The person you told me about, Jesus, he spoke to me. How can I get to know him? 
They shared the gospel with him again, led him to Christ. This guy got so excited about this freedom that he felt within himself, he went back to his people, his tribal area, he began sharing the gospel with people, led a whole bunch of his community to Christ, and has been starting churches within his community, several churches. This is the reconciling work of the gospel, in reconciling people to themselves, to God, and to others. You find out that you're able to actually live in peace. Peace starts right here. And then uh, it goes from us to those around us. At 10.02, my alarms go off because Luke 10.2 says, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. So we've been practicing that for the last many years, calling the church to set their alarms for 10.02 and saying that's the best mobilization strategy to get workers out on the front lines. Are you with me on that? 10.02, can we do that? So Father, I thank you that as the Lord of the harvest, you are calling people into the harvest fields and it's right here in this community and it's around the world. And so Father, I'm asking that you would mobilize your people, the church, call us into our assignments, into our places of best contribution in your, in your harvest. Use this church, continue to equip people here to live on mission with you here and around the world. Thank you for the stories you've encouraged with us with already this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The video from New Guinea this morning that we witnessed is just one of countless expressions of what happens when the gospel enters a culture. People stop killing each other. They stop eating each other. Can we be straight up about this? This is the transforming power of the gospel. 600 years ago, those of you from Germanic background, Northern European background, this is what we were doing 800 years ago. We were the savages in Northern Europe. The Roman Empire was terrified of these Germanic tribes. We killed people. We drank blood. We did all these crazy things. Somebody had to repent. Somebody had to break all the demonic curses and start a new pattern of peace. Somebody in my bloodline did that. And it's changed countless generations after. This has yet to happen in some places in the world. This is what Jesus came to do. Set us free. So the third image is God's peace, swords into plowshares. It's an iconic image. There's a big statue outside the UN of a guy with a plowshare and, you know, I think it was funded by the Russians, but uh, anyways, that was, uh, it's right there on the Hudson River. On the other side, there's the Peace Park, and you've got Isaiah, Isaiah 2, verse 4, on this huge wall right across the United Nations in New York City. And these, acts, these, these actual words are being repeated. Um, but the world doesn't know what this means. It's aspirational. Peace is not simply the absence of conflict. It's the presence of shalom and God's presence in Jesus. It's the presence of peace and his name is Jesus. Swords into plowshares. 
instruments of violence into food production. Repurposing resources. In what ways does God want to do that here in our community, our society? I think of some of the places where people are still very conflicted. Uh, Burma, Myanmar, lots of people have been imprisoned there over the last 60, 70 years. The doors are slowly opening right now to the gospel. We've got a guy there leading our church planning work, and uh, we've shared some stories before about him. He did a Christmas outreach a few years ago. The local monks attacked his generator. This is a remote valley, you know, eight, ten villages down the valley. He did a Christmas celebration, brought hundreds of people together, had a big sound system. The monks are quite violent there. They got hammers, shovels, and they went at the generator and shut the thing down. Um, but he'd already had a chance to share the gospel, fortunately, with people, and a lot of people responded. It's a challenge when you're living on mission and people want to kill you, threaten your life, and actually you know, engage in violence. Those are challenging contexts to be in. How you respond either will authenticate the gospel or discredit the gospel. So our leader there is a man of peace. He knows the peace of God, but he's a spiritual warrior. He's a spiritual warrior. And so he's interceding and he's praying for these people and, and uh, he does what God calls him to do, shares the gospel that night and then a couple of months later he hears that there's a blind preacher that's been invited into one of the local villages. A blind preacher by the, by the mayor. He's asking who... What? The mayor invited a, a blind evangelist. And he looked into the story and he found out that this blind evangelist, um, you know, uh, had been invited by the mayor. And he asked the mayor, why did you do that? And the mayor said, well, I was at your Christmas outreach and I gave my life to Jesus. Wow, I didn't know. And uh, he realized there's lots of other people that have given their lives to Jesus in that valley. Because of the peaceable response to the attacks of these monks, God has continued to give them favor. And now, just this last year, a number of villages, 10 villages voted to bring the Christians into that valley. And it seems like the tide is turning in that valley. Lots and lots of people have responded to the gospel. How we respond when we're attacked is really significant. We have the potential, the, the power in God to also repurpose swords into plowshares if we're willing to humble ourselves and pray and forgive our enemies. This peace begins in our hearts. It begins through salvation, and then it extends to our families, our neighbors, our enemies. This peace cost Christ his life, and it could cost us our lives as ambassadors of reconciliation. But it's our collective witness in this world that there's a better way. There is a better way to live than just the endless revenge cycle. The last image here in Isaiah 5, or Isaiah 2 verse 5 is, Come, O host of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. There's an invitation there to actually practice what we know is true. And it's a bit of an indictment. 
against God's people. I believe the prophet is saying, the implication is if we don't walk in the light of what we know to be true, the nations won't be drawn to this mountain of the Lord's temple. They won't be attracted to the, the ways of God and to the reconciling work of God. And so we've, we've got a call, a responsibility to walk in the light of what we know and to live it out. Colossians 3.15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. It's an expression of Christ's authority in our lives. It's what salt and light looks like in a challenging world. God's calling us to walk in the light. And as we walk in the light, we actually carry and express the light in dark places. Light makes the most impact when you go into dark places. And so this is our opportunity and our privilege, our challenge, our call as those who walk with Jesus. Blessed are the peacemakers, we read in the Sermon on the Mount, for they will be called children of God. It's a description of who we are and who we can be as God's people. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you have made provision through Christ for us to have peace with you. And I ask, Lord, that your peace by the Holy Spirit would fill our lives. Any barriers between us and you that you would uh, just, uh, Lord, show us our need for your grace and our need for freedom. And Lord, where there's barriers and walls between us, we ask that you'd remove them. And Father, just bring us into this reality of one body that we collectively could live this light-filled gospel in our world. I think of our First Nations neighbors here. I think of all the conflict within this country. We don't have to go further than, than just our First Nations community right next door. And we ask, Lord, for a better way to mark how we live as the body of Christ in this world. Have mercy on us, God, and uh, use us in these last days, to be your witness to the nations that you have come in Christ and given us a better way. Seal these words this morning. May the enemy not snatch this away. In Jesus' name, amen.